workers who in the past have been uh, considered invisible are now suddenly essential. Hey, FMFP fam, it's Biba. Today, we are bringing you the first episode of a series of interviews we're doing with community members focusing on this pandemic, the systems they notice that are being uncovered or unveiled, and what they believe are the silver linings and steps forward to continue cultivating more just and healthy communities. Though the team had scheduled completely different episodes for this time, we really wanted to be as responsive and as present to our community's needs as we could. And while shifting in this direction was certainly not planned, it has opened up so much, and we are really excited to share these conversations with you. In today's interview, Mariana interviews her brother, Christian Ramirez, who has been an exemplary advocate of migrant, border communities, and workers' rights for over 20 years. His expertise on policy issues at the local, state, national, and international level helps build workers' power, elevating the voices of a 45,000-member strong union. Christian serves as SEIU, USWW statewide policy director and is based in San Diego. We really hope you enjoy. We normally dedicate our podcast to documenting the voices of those folks engaged with our conference, especially for this season. But because of the pandemic, we're taking a pause and reflecting from different experiences on what people are living and going through. Um, to give perspective for folks that are um, dedicated to liberation work, especially within education. So really appreciate your time again. So we, we always um, start our interviews with a question of who are you and who are your people? Who am I? Who are my people? Yeah. Well, I'm Christian Ramirez. I am uh, a policy, I'm the policy advisor for policy director for SEIU, United Service Workers West, which is a union that represents low-wage service workers throughout the state of California. We have over 47,000 workers who work primarily in the janitorial security officer, uh, air, security officers, airports, um, and market stadiums and arenas. Uh, so most of our folks are um, people of color. Many of them are immigrants. Uh, and a whole lot of them right now are essential workers, meaning that they are um, working still uh, every single day, uh, really on the front lines of fighting uh, COVID-19. So I, I guess those are my folks. Okay, so in, in capturing the work that you're doing um, in, in, as a union organizer, what would you say um, are is being unveiled right now with this pandemic 
and what's what's impacting those folks that you're speaking about in the on the front lines well i think what has made what this pandemic has made very clear is that uh, there are deep rooted um uh, you know situations in which oppression and exploitation have uh, compounded even more uh, this pandemic. Um, many of our members are uh, folks who uh, are invisible to um, mainstream society. Uh, many of our members work the graveyard shift. Um, you know, they are the folks who keep buildings uh, immaculate. Uh, they are the folks who uh, guard the properties of, uh, of multi-billionaire companies. Uh, and, you know, what we've seen during this pandemic is uh, uh, a situation in which workers who in the past have been uh, considered invisible are now suddenly essential. Uh, and uh, this is sort of the growing dichotomy, I think, of this pandemic. On the one hand, you know, our members who um, have worked in the janitorial industry, for instance, for uh, decades uh, and Literally, you know, their clients don't ever see them. Now they are being called into work. They are, uh, the whole industries depend on them disinfecting their buildings uh, so that uh, essential workers going to work in those industries during the day are able to do so without having to worry as much about their work sites being, um, you know, disinfected for them to be able to work. Um that's on the one hand. So you have members telling us, you know, for the first time, people are valuing my work, despite the fact that I've been doing this work for 20, 25, even up to 30 years. On the other hand, you have, uh, you know, policy makers who, uh, you know, are excluding the vast majority of our members from economic uh, relief, uh, even blocking folks from accessing uh, health care. Uh, and accessing things like free uh, uh, COVID-19 testing. Um, and a good example of that is that uh, in the last uh, uh, relief uh, package that Congress passed and was signed into law by the president, uh, all uh, undocumented workers were excluded from receiving, uh, you know, that economic stimulus. Um, many... Uh, mixed status families are on the same boat, uh, and even uh, children uh, who were born in the United States but whose parents are uh, undocumented will not be able to get that family unit, will not be able to receive the $500 per child stimulus that was passed into law in response to this pandemic. So on the one hand, our essential workers, particularly in the janitorial industry, are being considered essential. But on the very one day and the very next day, uh, Congress and policymakers are basically saying, you know, your work is essential, but the workers are disposable. Uh, so this is the, you know, the, the contradiction, I think, that we have seen in the past, but has become much more evident, uh, you know, through this, uh, as a result of this pandemic. Yeah, as a former classroom teacher, what I hear from my students um, and most most of my students um, 
come come from working class families um and many of them also too um their parents are part of the union so what have you noticed um and and how that this is impacting family life for the workers that that you represent we know it's uh it is a stressful time for everyone in this in the world really uh, but um, one has to be reminded of the fact that uh, many of our members uh, were living paycheck to paycheck uh, and some uh, you know before the pandemic and some had to uh, uh, you know uh, have a second job to subs you know to, to supplement their income um and depended on things like free school lunches and and public schooling as a way to ensure their children uh, had a safe place to be uh while you know workers were at work or resting at home after pulling in a graveyard uh sh- you know shift uh so uh, without uh, you know s- an extra source of income. Many of our members had were in the informal economy uh, as a way to supplement their income and you know and pay for rent and and really make ends meet. Um, many members of our union don't have that supplemental income anymore. Um, they they cannot the, the informal uh, economy uh, has been hit very hard you know we're talking about street vendors we're talking about folks domestic workers we're talking about you know folks who sold things on the weekend just to make a little bit of extra money so you know i i think that uh many of our members uh are fighting very hard to keep a job uh and their whole livelihoods depend on making sure that they're able to work they're able to get health care um and 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 I think that there has been little time to uh, think about, you know, how uh, this pandemic is impacting the family life. It's impacting communities because uh, folks are, you know, are worried about um, working and they're worried about making sure that they don't contract this uh, virus uh, and they're worried about not bringing this virus home. Um, you know, and infect their children. Many of our members literally cannot afford to stop working. Uh, and although they do it with a sense of pride that they are on the front lines of fighting this disease, uh, it is uh, uh, it is shameful how um, uh, little regard we have in this society for essential workers and how employers are taking advantage of the situation either to uh, uh, reduce the hours, uh, of essential workers to save costs uh, or uh, to not provide essential workers with the necessary uh, protective uh, equipment so that they uh, don't run, you know, the, to reduce the risk of becoming infected with uh, the novel coronavirus. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think that they're, it's survival mode really. Uh, and, and we're doing as much as we can to, uh, as a union to make sure that workers continue to work and if they continue to work that they have uh, uh, they are well protected at work and if they're not able to work either because they have become infected uh, or uh, because their industries have completely uh, shut down uh, to ensure that whatever public benefits are available to everyone in this country are also available 
to immigrants, all immigrants, regardless of their immigration status. Uh, so that's those are the sort of the where we, we, we where we are at, uh, and, uh, and and really trying to ensure that uh, that folks are making uh, uh, are being are surviving through through this pandemic. What's up, y'all? My name is Farima Porkhorshid, and I'm hella proud to be a board member for the Education for Liberation Network. I think one of the things I feel most inspired by is just the countless ways that those in the National EdLib Network and family continue to resist by reimagining, building, and really sustaining spaces for the teaching and learning of freedom. It's through our local community work as well as our collective national work that we remain committed to our shared imagination for a more loving and humanizing world and for education as a site of revolutionary possibility. But for us to do that work, we do need people to help sustain us financially. Please consider donating to our independent organization. We are not owned by a foundation, a corporation, or any institution. And it's this very independence that allows our work to be driven by the priorities of grassroots educators, activists, and youth. And we're able to actively create space for local work to have a national impact. You can become a monthly sustainer, or you could just make a one-time donation at www edliberation.org. We cannot do this work or even this podcast without your support. And we just thank you in advance for any donation that you're able to give. We appreciate y'all so much. One thing that um, also from coming from a teacher perspective, that's unimaginable for me to to have teaching and learning happen virtually. Um, And and also a lot of us um, educators that believe in like ethnic studies pedagogies also organize with our students and with their parents. And so how has that shifted the work that the union is doing? How has this pandemic shifted that, that type of organizing work? Well, you know, I think uh, uh, it's pushed a, a low-wage worker union to embrace 21st century technology. You know, many of there's a tremendous language barrier and a, a whining digital divide. Uh, and it's always been a challenge to, you know, um, uh, use 21st century technology in a community that doesn't have the time to, nor the resources to catch up to the the fast pace of technology um, and you know we have let, been left with very little options uh, but to use you know zoom and um, and other uh, platforms that our members do use like facebook or whatsapp and, and trying to figure out the best way of engaging in with our members you know obviously uh, the, the the leverage that our Union has, and uh, sort of the historical legacy of this union has been its ability to mobilize thousands of workers and to uh, conduct, you know, direct action and to really shame into shame the binary class into sitting down with low wage workers and and agreeing to just some basic, uh, you know, economic relief. We don't have our, the ability right now to do that. You know, we are not able to mobilize our workers. We're not able to send out organizers to the field. Uh, 
were not able to, uh, you know, descend on city halls and, uh, you know, uh, Capitol Hill in D.C. or, or Sacramento and, and, and push policymakers to do the right thing. So we're just trying to be as creative as possible uh, and, uh, and, and, and and using, you know, the what's available to our members, what's available to our union uh, and, and try to be in touch as much as possible with 47,000 members. Uh, you know, it's, it's uh, that speak at least three different languages that are uh, in multiple industries. Um, uh, and, and that, that has, you know, that has been a challenge, but uh, in some ways I think it's allowed uh, um, our members and our union to uh, realize that uh, now more than ever, the importance of unions uh, is fundamental. Uh, you know, although our members are struggling, uh, some have been laid off, some have been furloughed without a job. Many of our members were able to collect, uh, uh, you know, on, on, on a trust that we have for healthcare. Um, in, in some cases, like a, uh, an example we're very proud of, uh, Apple, you know, a multi-billion dollar company that has more money than some countries put together, uh, had let go of 600 of their janitors. Uh, but after our janitors organized a, a Zoom call um, and uh, a telephone conference call with reporters, uh, we brought in uh, members of Congress uh, and we basically shamed Apple into our members, our workers shamed Apple into agreeing to pay their workers um, during this pandemic, despite the fact that many of them are not going to work. Uh, so that's one clear example of where we were able to, you know, use technology to push a company, use, uh, you know, public opinion, use the media, tell our stories uh, and, 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 and really, you know, in essence, use the, the our leverage uh, in ways that we haven't used it before, uh, but that have yielded, you know, similar results as a picket or uh, a march or rally would have. Um, another example is, you know, as Congress was negotiating the uh, the, f- the last uh, corona uh, uh, coronavirus uh, relief bill. Uh, the airline industry was going to receive billions upon billions of dollars in aid, uh, but would have left. But that bill would have left uh, tens of thousands of contracted airport workers out of the bill, uh, and basically, uh, you know, excluding uh, the folks who clean the cabins, who you know uh, transport. Uh, uh, the elderly uh, on wheelchairs uh, who uh, handle your luggage, luggage workers at the airports. Uh, uh, again, through the use of Zoom, through the use of, uh, of video conferencing and, and, and telephonic conferencing, we were able to uh, move members of Congress and we were able to push uh, a bill uh, to go through uh, in D.C. that included um, contracted workers. So it would have been you know, uh, unthinkable that we would have done something like that, you know, earlier this year. Uh, you know, I, I think if I would have said to workers, look, we're going to jump on a Zoom platform and we're going to change, uh, we're going to make sure that our workers are included in this bill, and they would have just laughed at me, you know. Um, but 
but we we did it, uh, and and so those are like I think the silver linings of union organizing in the middle of this pandemic that uh, that really has forced uh, you know workers and union organizers to just be creative and respond and and to just and remind ourselves that at the end of the day, uh, you know. Uh, we have a mission we have uh, to accomplish uh, and that, uh, you know, that workers and organizers will use any tools at our disposal to make sure that we continue to advocate for the working class. And that's, uh, that's what, that's what has happened. We have to re- adapt and pivot and, 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 you know, be behind a, a screen all day long, but, you know, one as an organizer, but one, has to always be mindful of the fact that, uh, and it's easy to sort of be, uh, to lose uh, perspective because, you know, we're stuck indoors. Our members are working uh, and are being exposed to this and are getting sick and some of them are dying already. Uh, so it's, you know, it's one day at a time and it's, um, it's not losing perspective. It's easy to do so when you're like in back-to-back Zoom calls and conference calls and, um, you know, from sun's, up to sundown and mm-hmm. um, but uh, you know so that's that's where we're at so you touched upon some really important points on like the dichotomy between um mm-hmm. being an essential worker but also being seen as a disposable worker how how working class families are are being impacted um and having to not having the the access to uh, supplement their income with um, the informal economy and also how that's impacting um, immigrant workers too, right? And But then you also talked about some really um, interesting um, ways of organizing that is coming out now, right, through technology and, and still having the power of the people via Zoom and, you know, keeping in mind, like, the digital divide, right? So kind of to close off... Um, a lot of us have been reading Ar- Arundhati Joy and she's given us a lot of hope and perspective and she's talking about how historically, she says, historically pandemics have forced humans to break with the past and imagine their world anew. This one is no different. It's a portal, a gateway between one world and the next. So what would you say to close off? What is keeping you hopeful um, as a longtime organizer? Um, and also anything that you, you want um teachers and educators and students to know and organizers to know um, any resources or anything that you want to connect folks to? What does keep me hopeful? You know, I, I think that there have been so many um, signs of solidarity, um, you know, that from unexpected folks, you know, when you get calls from, you know, political opponents and they just want to reach out and um, you know, talking about Republicans and even some Democrats who rarely talk, care about immigrant workers. And when they reach out and, and ask, you know, what can I do? Um, it's powerful. You know, uh, and I think when you see workers willing to uh, continue to go out there uh, and disinfect and take care of uh, of the elderly, take care of the sick, uh, take care of the basic needs of society during this pandemic, uh, and to and they do it knowingly that uh, they're risking their life, uh, but they do it because they care not only about their families, but they also care about the 
broader we. Uh, so that is uh, tremendously inspiring. Um, and, and just small kinds, uh, you know, small uh, uh, signs of kindness, even, you know, in my own neighborhood and people who are care, you know, who are making sure that, uh, in, you know, uh, we are knocking on the doors of, of, our, of our elders. We're making sure they're fine. Uh, we are, you know, swapping food and supplies. We're uh, more, there's more and more of this mutual aid uh, sort of uh, informal networks popping up. Uh, and so all of those things, I think, are, are truly inspiring, you know, and, uh, and, and I think that can be a pathway towards a better uh a better world moving forward. Uh, you know, that being said, uh, our opposition is still in power. Uh, you know, there are uh, folks who are taking advantage of this pandemic to uh, destroy unions, uh, destroy uh, uh, community organizations, destroy nonprofits that have served, uh, you know, um, working class folks and immigrants and, and people of color. So, uh, you know, although I am completely hopeful that we are getting through this and that we are still winning as a union, despite of all of the evident health crisis and the and the equally devastating economic crisis, and I think that those are two things that cannot be separated. I think many folks, we, I think we all in the world now understand what the health crisis is, but I think not everyone in the world understands that the economic crisis that runs parallel or sometimes is joined at the hip with this virus uh, is killing more brown and black folks in this country. It's impacting working class folks more. Um, and, and I think that that is the piece that we must be careful about that, you know, and I was telling, telling someone the other day that, uh, uh, you know, we can't afford to lose, you know, that uh, either we win, and we win by meaning that working class people are moving forward a, an agenda that is in, inclusive, that is uh, broad reaching, or we are set back tremendously. Uh, uh, the people who are in power are people who are in power because they hate working class people. Um, mm-hmm. And we need to change that. Uh, I am hopeful um, to see immigrant workers uh, organizing via Zoom uh, is tremendously inspiring um, because they are closing the digital gap uh, as a sheer need to uh, ensure that uh, their their worker power, the people power is not, you know, diminished. Um, and, you know, in, in places like California, we've been able to uh, move uh, the governor to, you know, from a position of, uh, I'm not too sure if I want to support immigrant workers to, a position of, uh, you know what, we have to think about that and let's get to work on that. So that has happened within a period of, you know, days. Uh, and mm-hmm. so this pandemic gives you an opportunity to be creative, uh, to be inclusive, and to push for political change, uh, you know, uh, quickly, uh, because the conditions that we're facing require for uh, bold uh, and inclusive political solutions and the fact that we're moving the needle so quickly in some fronts, but also looking at how dangerously it's moving in other fronts. And I'm referring to, uh, you know, folks who are, uh, you know, in prison, who are detention centers, uh, brown and black folks are being forced to be in close proximity to each other in these cells 
um, just not far from my house here in Otay Mesa, the private detention facility. Uh, you know, uh, just yesterday we got a word that uh, that women and children were pepper sprayed by the guards there who, uh, uh, you know, who refused to uh, sign a waiver. Uh, so, you know, while there is hope, there's also a lot of... Uh, a lot of uh, a need for deep reflection in this country uh, that if we're going to get through this uh, it's going to have to be all of us or none of us will get through it uh, and and that's I think that's where you know that's that's where I'm at and I think to your point uh, I don't know if I have resources necessarily but I think what I do have is is offer folks in um, you know in education teachers and educators to to begin to uh, capture the stories of your students uh, and to capture the stories of their parents and how they're navigating through this. Uh, I hope that, uh, you know, uh, in 100 years from now, when people look back, uh, we'll be able to tell uh, a story of how people came together, people helped each other out, and people helped build, rebuild a fair and, and a much more just society. And, 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 and I think that the best way of doing that is to share those stories right now that I think we all need to share the stories of how even a small act of kindness, like giving an elder a meal for the day uh, or fighting to make sure that workers kept working, uh, can help uh, shape how this world comes out of this. Uh, you know, uh, and, and, and that's my hope. I think the more stories that we tell, uh, the, the 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 easier it will be to get on that sort of on ramp towards a much more just society. Well, for, I want to close by saying thank you so much and and admit too that Christian is my brother from my. Oh yes, I am. I am my younger <laughs> sister from my same mother and father. <laughs> yes. So, and also my brother in struggle. So I want to really thank you for sharing your story. Right. And we hope that with, with capturing your, your, your work and, and your commitment and your story that we can also move forward um, towards our liberation. So thank you. Thank you so thank much. Thank you very much. See you in the in the next family Zoom. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna go cut lemons and oranges. Uh, and oh, I'm gonna swap that for apio and uh, repollo. Ooh, I know. So I gotta go do that. Okay. Thank Ciao. you. Bye. Thank you. All right, well, thanks for tuning in to Free Minds, Free People podcast. Be sure to check us out next month. Please follow us on social media at Free Minds, Free People. Hi, folks, this is Brian from the podcast team. We appreciate you taking the time to listen to this episode. Please do us a favor and subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. That would help us an awful lot. Stay free.
The FMFP Podcast is brought to you by our volunteer team from across the country. Sophia X, Samson Wood Phillips, Renee Lee, MK Wynn, Mariana Ramirez, Kendra Pelo Joaquin, Brian Ford, and Viva Fulon. <laughs>